This is the Foot in the Box podcast for the week of Monday, July 31st. And now, please rise for the singing of our Welcome to episode 103 of the A Foot in the Box podcast. My name is Peter Elliott. And I'm Paul Elliott. And we are back after a two-week uh, break. Paul, it's good to be behind the mic again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it feels, uh, feels right. Back home. Uh, yes, so we're back from vacation. But in one week, Paul will be in the great city of San Francisco. Yeah, less than a week. To... Well, a week from tonight, that's where we'll be. Correct. Yes. Peter and I will be heading out for the Cubs Giant Series at AT&T Park. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Yep. We'll be with our older brothers, John and Kevin. And uh, yeah, we're excited. Excited. We'll, uh, we'll uh, record an episode like we normally do. Intro to this week's podcast. Have a ton to talk about. Uh, we've got the trade deadline to discuss that happened earlier today. We're recording on... Uh, Monday night, mm-hmm. uh, we've got uh, Crosstown Cup breakdown. Cubs were victorious. Uh, Steve Bartman, yeah, back in the news. Uh, we also have a fun Hall of Fame game of current players because this past weekend was the Hall of Fame induction ceremony for a few players that were deserving and one commissioner that was not. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, Adrian Beltre. Just got his 3,000th hit. Yeah, so Hall of Fame uh, stuff is, is in the air, so we've got a fun game to play of, of current players, uh, which current players will, will make their way to Cooperstown. And then lastly, uh, we have a recap of the Red Sox chaos going on right now. Uh, we have a guest from uh, Baseball Prospectus Boston. Jake Devereaux, uh, who uh, is the editor and host of, of the Red Seat Podcast joined us to, to break down all that craziness so stick around for that at the end of the podcast yep and he was on uh last year's playoff preview as well right yeah so he's joining rob mains as uh, <laughs> a return guest absolutely Re- reoccurring guest before we get into uh, the podcast uh paul i thought we'd share some uh wise words with our audience uh that we picked up on vacation uh what are those wise words Satchel Paige's advice for staying young. So uh, a tradition of ours, our families, when we go on vacation to South Haven, Michigan, we we stop at a used bookstore, Black River Books, Mm -hmm. and uh, uh, our nephew Grady always picks out some books for us to read to him. This year, we were looking at a book of the top 100 players of all time. Satchel Paige was listed among them, and then on his his page uh, were his... Uh, six tips for living a long, active life. Uh, Paige was was known for pitching well into his 50s. Yeah, he was old. Um, so here are the six. Number one, avoid fried meats, which angry the blood. <laughs> Number two, if your stomach disputes you, lie down and pacify it with cool thoughts. <laughs> Number three, keep the juices flowing by jangling around gently as you move. <laughs> Number four, Go very light on the vices. 
such as carrying on in society. The social ramble ain't restful. <laughs> number five, avoid running at all times. <laughs> and number six, don't look back. Something might be gaining on you. Hmm. It's priceless wisdom there. Yeah, so if you uh, forget everything from this podcast, just remember the social ramble ain't restful. Yeah, it's great stuff. Satchel Page. Uh, speaking of the social ramble, our Nelly update. Well done. Uh, this week. It's our first piece of, uh, I would say, hate mail. Oh, wow. You're going to bring this up? Oh, yeah. Uh, maybe not hate mail. I, uh, it was hate mail. Okay. So, uh, a few months ago, and by a few, I mean nine months ago, we discussed an article entitled, The Five Reasons Millennials Should Be Thankful for Nelly. And I thought we talked about it fairly. We didn't uh, didn't hate on the piece. Just kind of had fun with it uh, because it was a silly piece and we, we just kind of had fun with it. We were silly about it. We didn't attack the writer by any means, but uh, the writer of the piece felt differently. She tweeted at us while we were on vacation. Uh, she said the following, add a foot in the box. Just heard your epic takedown of my editor assigned content about Nelly last year. It was sick, bro. Uh and- now I have to point yeah, out what, what what would you like to say to the author who we won't name on the podcast out of respect for her. The uh, the bro was singular, which means she was referring to you only. So I actually have nothing to no, say. No, no. If you go back and listen, I was I was defending the piece and you were not. So she was talking to you. Oh well, in that case, yeah i I will not defend our uh, our intro banter about Nelly. So is that an apology? Uh, sure. Although I did kind of feel like she was throwing her editor under the bus. She mm. was saying it wasn't me. Deflecting it was blame. an editor assigned piece. So that's about all I'll say though. Mm. I, yeah, I felt was, bad it, for about five minutes on vacation. <laughs> it really, I don't know how, um, more public figures do it. It really does kind of eat at you when yeah, someone criticizes your work. Yeah. It didn't eat at me too much. It was nine months ago and 25 podcast episodes ago, November, 2016, and we weren't unfair to it. We had fun with it. Uh, it was not an epic takedown. So I rescind Paul's apology. <laughs> we are not sorry. We must speak the truth at all times. You know what? I think she uh, got sucked into the Russian hacking scandal. Hmm. Yeah, it is um, noteworthy that she found us online. Exactly. Yes. Uh, speaking of apologies uh, and reconciliation... The Cubs have reconciled Ooh, with like Steve it. Bartman. Uh, earlier today, breaking news, uh, the Cubs gave Steve Bartman a World Series ring from last year. Has his name on it and everything. Uh, Pete, what, what's your take? Uh, it would have been epic if they gave him a 2003 World Series ring. <laughs> kind of a, a gotcha. Uh, a quote here. Um, well, I think we should read the full statement in a second. He deserves it. Sure. But before we do... Uh, we were both at the the Bartman game, so I feel like we have uh, have a, a bit of a platform to speak on. We were part of the the crowd. Now our family didn't uh, do anything that would be uh, embarrassing or regretful, but it uh, was a very ugly moment in Chicago sports history, and I feel like American sports recent history, mm-hmm. how they treated uh, Mr. Bartman uh, during the NLCS Game Six. Uh, my take is that if he wanted the ring, if he felt honored by it or 
liked it in any way, then I'm good with it. Mm-hmm. You know, if if he didn't want it, it didn't want the attention, then they shouldn't have done it. But it felt like, based on the statement that we're going to read in a second, that he was um, appreciative of it, and uh, maybe he was he was wanting something to kind of uh, symbolize the closure of that segment of his life. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you'll read the statement in a second, but he used pretty uh, powerful words, you know, reconciliation and yeah. Um, definitely seemed meaningful to him. Yep. I always wanted him to throw out the first pitch of a game, kind of a surprise thing where you know no one knew about it beforehand except maybe the Cubs. But um, I think that just would have been incredibly emotional, especially mm-hmm. during like a World Series or playoff game. Uh, I understand why he wouldn't want to do that, and you sh- certainly wouldn't want to force him to do that. I just thought it would have been a cool uh, moment. And, I, and I, for a while now, I've thought that he would get cheered and not booed. Um, going back even like five even 10 years ago, I think people were self-aware enough. Part of me wonders, you know, one, where he lives, and two, is he as big of a Cub fan now? He's back in Chicago then, right? Really? That 30 for 30, they tracked him down. That's right. All right, here's Bartman's statement. Although I do not consider myself worthy of such an honor, I am deeply moved and sincerely grateful to receive an official Chicago Cubs 2016 World Series championship ring. I am fully aware of the historical significance and appreciate the symbolism the ring represents on multiple levels. My family and I will cherish it for generations. Most meaningful is the genuine outreach from the Ricketts family on behalf of the Cubs organization and fans, signifying to me that I am welcome back into the Cubs family and have their support going forward. I am relieved and hopeful that the saga of the 2003 foul ball incident surrounding my family and me is finally over. He goes on to say, I humbly receive the ring not only as a symbol of one of the most historic achievements in sports, but as an important reminder of how we should treat each other in today's society. My hope is that we all can learn from my experience to view sports as entertainment and prevent harsh scapegoating and to challenge the media and opportunistic profiteers to conduct business ethically by respecting personal privacy rights and not exploit any individual to advance their own self-interest or economic gain. Uh, he closes it by saying, Words alone cannot express my heartfelt thanks to the Ricketts family, Crane Kenny, Theo Epstein, and the entire Cubs organization for this extraordinary gift and for providing the city of Chicago and Cubs fans everywhere an unforgettable world championship in 2016. I am happy to be reunited with the Cubs family and positively moving forward with my life. Welcome back, Steve. Yes. Uh, when... Hashtag profiteers. Are we profiteers? <laughs> Uh, maybe. Uh, when is Sammy's return now? That's Ooh, the big boy. question. Would we recognize him? Yeah, I don't know. All right, uh, some other banter before we get to our trade deadline recap. Uh, Trout and Harper. This is this is fun now again. You know, Harper is uh, is going strong. Trout is back from his injury, and uh, they are right at the top of the game now. Harper is probably your NL MVP favorite at this point. Has a 4.5 WAR according to Baseball Reference. Has a slash line of 329, 429, and 630. All three of those are uh, great. Trout is uh, on fire since his return. He's at 315, 422, and 500. And uh, he probably would be in the uh, MVP discussion if not for Jose Altuve, who has been unbelievable the past uh, month or so. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Goldschmidt also has a, a case in the yeah, National League. Certainly. And uh, Nolan Arenado is in there too, but. Uh, I think he won't get votes just because of course field. Yep. Uh, Aaron Judge, uh, to to add him in here, you suggested that we add him to the Trout and Harper segment since the All Star break. 
batting average, 158, 310 on base, and a terrible 316 slugging percentage. Hmm. I jinxed him. Yeah, I don't uh, think Mr. Judge uh, will keep up his first half pace, but I'm hoping he does. I'm hoping for the game that he can adjust back and uh, become uh, the player that he was in the first half. What's crazy is even if you stopped like his cumulative stats now, it would have been probably exceeded what people yeah. expected of him. Yeah, I think he'll turn out to be like a, a decent regular everyday player, but um, the first half he had the potential to be kind of a historic player with his size and the way that he was hitting home runs. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything else before we get to the trade deadline? Uh, nope. A note of mention here. No uh, uh, baseball on TV this week. Uh, I do have a note, though. A Foot in the Box Summer Flicks is back for its third season. So in 2015, we did Fun Bad Baseball Movies as a category. 2016, we did the 90s. And 2017, we're doing the classics. Nice. Uh, so check out footinthebox.com later this week. We'll have a blog post where we will announce the uh, the category participants, the nominees for the classics, you know, movies like Field of Dreams, Moneyball, and the like. Um, you'll get to pick one of those, and then we'll draw from a hat three lucky winners to watch uh, the movie remotely with us. Paul and I watch it together with snacks that Kate provides. Mm-hmm. And of course, live tweeting along the way. Yes, so we'll send you a copy of the DVD, whether electronic or uh, physical, and we'll watch it together uh, sometime in August. So check that out later this week at footinthebox.com. And we'll also tweet it out uh, at a foot in the box. All right, uh, let's move on to the trade deadline. No, uh, no out of the box this week uh, because we wanted to discuss the 2017 trade deadline. Before we get into, um, you know, sort of winners, losers, interesting thoughts, all that stuff, I wanted to touch on the Memorial Day trade deadline game. Uh, Paul and I, the last couple of years, have played this game where on the Memorial Day podcast, mm-hmm. we each pick a, a team of 10 players that we think will get traded by the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. Paul won the game pretty handily last year. I think you had six of your 10 get picked. Yes. And I had two out of 10. And then we just count uh, plate appearances and innings pitched mm-hmm. together. And Paul won uh, pretty easily. I think he almost doubled my score. This year, I think we're going to have a pretty close race. So I had five of my 10. Uh, Sonny Gray, David Robertson, Jeremy Hellickson, Tony Watson, Trevor Cahill. And then you had four of your 10, uh, J.D. Martinez, Melky Cabrera, Jose Quintana, and Todd Frazier. I don't think Melky and Frazier will be everyday players. I know. That's why it's it's close. Martinez will have the most points, I think, of any of those guys. Yeah. Um, my uh, Andrew McCutcheon pick turned out to be... My, I had long. I had McCutcheon. You had McCutcheon. You had um, Josh Harrison. That's right. Yeah, so uh, that game is surprisingly very difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, I wouldn't think it'd be that hard to come up with 10 players that would be traded. But I think the, the four is. wild cards really complicates things. Yeah. Because it's hard to tell who the buyers and sellers are well, that, that early and and guys that should be traded like uh brad brock from the orioles like mm-hmm. i get holding on to britain if you're going to go for it next year but brad brock like just get a couple prospects if you're the orioles same thing with um alonzo from the A's. yeah or like um hand brad hand from the padres like mm-hmm. good reliever has no value on a rebuilding team just get prospects yep all right i think my first takeaway from the trade deadline. It's just the lack of position players that were dealt. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 
JD Martinez was the best uh, position player to get dra- or uh, traded. Uh, and then Todd Frazier, Jay Bruce, and Al Avila. Melky. And Melky, yeah, I guess. But, I mean, just a handful of position players got dealt. Um, I'm not sure how much you can read into that. Um, but certainly, I think it's just clear that, that teams uh, value their own young position players more than rentals, old yep. rentals on the trade market that maybe used to have more value. Yeah, I think it was um, Bob Nightingale tweeted today that like uh, the – uh, the market for uh, position players like deteriorated by the day. Nightingale also tweeted that the Dodgers were the new Warriors of baseball. Nice, um, so but yeah, yeah, I, his, I, his judgment is flawed. I agree with you. What's interesting to me is that um, uh, relief pitchers are like a hot commodity around the deadline, but position players are not. When, if you know, in free agency, if you were offered a position player or a closer, you would, you'd be way more excited about a position player. Yeah. So it's a good point. Um, I felt like the winners, uh, sorry to go there. Um, were the Dodgers and Yankees. I think really? uh, both teams got significantly better without giving up their top prospects. More than the Cubs. Yeah. I guess I would put the Cubs in that camp as well. What worries me about the Cubs a little bit. And I'd be interested in your, your take on this. How do you feel about them depleting their minor leagues entirely? Oh, I mean, I didn't feel good about it when they traded for Chapman last year. Right. But, I mean, Quintana's controlled for the next few years. Right. My take was, you know, Quintana's by far the best player that was dealt at the trade deadline. And they gave up a lot for him. Mm -hmm. But I think they have to be a winner just because they added him for the next, you know, three years. Right. So they added him. And then I thought the Justin Wilson trade... Uh, on Sunday night was a steal. Mm-hmm. You know, we saw him, uh, that double header from about 50 yards away. Um, good left-handed throws, you know, near a hundred and he's controlled through next year as well. So he could be a, your closer in, in 2018. I, I would just be interested in like the Theo mindset. He's great at building a world series team, but like in terms of longevity, would his natural cycle always be, get a young core together, ride them out for five years and then sort of regress for a couple of years and do the same. Like, is yeah, that like a I, wave? That's a good or? question. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, his contracts for five more years. So I'm sure he's focused on winning as many world series in that span as possible. But I think he's probably confident in his ability to rebuild if he needs to. Sure. Um, yeah. I thought this trade deadline, they did a great job because they needed to, to get young controlled pitching. And they did that with Quintana and Wilson. Hmm. So the Dodgers, you know, they added you Darvish, which he's probably the second best, third best, maybe Dar or behind uh, Gray. Yeah, uh, player that was dealt. He's been uh, shaky recently. Mm-hmm. His last start, three innings, ten runs. <laughs> Apparently, he was tipping his pitches. Um, still decent numbers for the year: four point zero one ERA, one point one six WHIP, a lot of strikeouts. Uh, but he's just a, a rental, right? And um, you know, if he has a couple more bombs of a start, I guess that doesn't hurt the Dodgers as much because they've got the division locked up. But um, you know, if he doesn't pitch well in the playoffs, then um, it was a, kind of a bust of a move. And the two relievers they got, Tony Watson, Tony Singrani, they have both been terrible this year. Mm-hmm. If you look at their numbers, uh, Singrani's controlled for a couple more years, and Watson's just. Uh, uh, a rental as well. So I'm not sure how much they help themselves. 
they didn't give up a ton. Um, I th- I really like what the Yankees did. Sonny Gray um, has been really good recently. So yep. he helps you this year, and then he helps you in the next couple years. And they added depth with Frazier and Robertson and Canely. Um, but I'm not sure the Yankees have the starting pitching depth either this year or in the future to contend with the Red Sox in the in the East. Yeah, they'll definitely have to have to add some in the off season. I wonder uh, a guy like Darvish, such a unique pitcher, and he's got so many uh, different pitches. Sure. That if uh, if moving leagues could help him, you know, I think yeah. he's almost gotten worse or plateaued um, in the American League, where I think you know facing new teams like the Cubs or the Nationals in the playoffs might uh, suit him well. Yeah. He's a free agent this off season too, so um, he could be a target even for a team like the Cubs, who will have yeah. a, two more spots open. Um, and mm-hmm. the Yan- I'm sure the Yankees will be involved in that too. I did feel like the losers were the Rangers and the A's. Um, hmm. Both teams, you know, couldn't get much back for guys that were definitely on the market. So we've talked about Darvish, but uh, Lucroy, they didn't get much back for him. Um, and then the the A's just held on to Yonder Alonso. Yeah, he's having a good year, but um, you know, there's questions about whether he'll be able to keep that up after Major League Baseball stops juicing baseballs, mm-hmm. um, and also he's a free agent. So, yeah, my big loser was the Orioles. They sit at fifteen fifty four, a few games back of the wild card, but their run differential is negative seventy two. Uh, so they've done it with smoke and mirrors up to this point. Their starting pitching is terrible. Literally, none of their starting pitchers are having good seasons. <laughs> So I just don't know how you can have the mindset where they're adding mm-hmm. uh, pieces at the break. Um, Machado and Britton are signed through next year, so um, I guess they're going to go for it to end this year and then next year and then I guess rebuild after that uh, or I, see, see if they can re-sign those guys. But I thought they were a big loser. Uh, and then I one more winner, I thought the Royals did some nice mm-hmm. things. Um, they're right there you know, with Kane and Moustakas and Hosmer all being free agents. You know, you might as well give it one last shot. And they added uh, Cahill, who's having a good year, and then um, some other pieces that I thought were good. Jay Bruce. Um, the Milkman. Yeah, Melky Cabrera. So they're one of the teams that, that still value old position players, apparently. Yes. Um, so good job to the Royals, and I hope that we see some playoff games in Kaufman uh, this year. Yeah, I think the MLB trade deadline is still the best deadline in sports, but this year was... Um, significantly worse than in previous years. I'm not sure about that. So I did a blog post today about the the last 10 years, like the most prominent trade. Mm-hmm. And the last two years have been very good. Um, you know, you had Price and Cespedes and Chapman, Andrew Miller last year, Luke Roy. Um, so you had some really good years recently. But, um, I mean, there, most years it's like this year. Really? Where there's... Some good pieces, certainly some all-stars traded, but generally... See, I guess being a fan of the White Sox, we were like every year trading for a future <laughs> Hall of Famer. Yeah, well, Albeit like they're old. late in their career, but Robbie yeah. Alomar, mm-hmm. got Freddie Garcia in a deadline deal. Griffey. That's right. Yeah. Okay, Griffey. Griffey. Manny. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so I guess my takeaway after writing that post is the trades never matter as much as we think they do. Hmm. Like you, Darvish, probably won't make that big a difference. Like Quintana will make a big difference because he's with the Cubs for so long. Right. But the the rentals don't really matter that much unless unless you're trading for uh, a steroid-infused Manny Ramirez who had an incredible run with the Dodgers mm-hmm. back in uh, 2008. I thought you were going to say a steroid-induced Mark McGuire, who's also a deadline deal. To the Cardinals? To the Cardinals, yeah. I didn't know that. Was it like 97? 
Mm-hmm. Wow. So the year before he he went off, he was traded. Right. Well, that does it for the trade deadline recap edition of Out of the Box. Next up, uh, we have our Hall of Fame power rankings for active players. Ladies and gentlemen, Tim Raines. Raines' Hall of Fame speech focused on those he loved, family, friends, and teammates. Gary Carter, God bless him. I know he's looking down as well saying, you did it, kid. But he also gave props to the fans that cheered his heroics. For Reigns, today was the perfect bookend to a storied career. But for those who have kept the faith for the 13 long years since the Expos moved, today was not about endings. Hope springs eternal in Expos Nation. The hope of a spring where the next Tim Reigns steals third in the uniform of a team reborn. Simon Nakaneshny, CBC News, Montreal. That was Tim Reigns accepting his Hall of Fame induction this past weekend. He, along with Jeff Bagwell and uh, Pudge Ivan Rodriguez were inducted as players, and then uh, John Cheerholtz as an executive, and then uh, Bud Selig, who is not deserving, but was still inducted into the Hall of Fame. I heard Bud on four different uh, radio shows in a 24-hour period, <laughs> and he was saying the exact same thing on everyone. Really hyping it up. Yes. It's like If you didn't realize, uh, when I came into the commissionership this this and this yeah i was i was kind of over bud i didn't realize i disliked him as much as i do yeah he's above average i think as a commissioner he did some good things but um to be in the hall of fame you have to be like the best ever i think there's four or five commissioners out of nine in the hall of fame now Mm -hmm. it's not representative maybe one of the nine should be in yeah okay well uh, paul and i are going to play a little hall of fame game here and we are going to do a power rankings uh, for active players on their likelihood to get to Cooperstown. So uh, this is a joint list. Paul and I will will uh, workshop through here the next five or ten minutes. And we're thinking the top five to ten will agree on quite a bit. Yeah, and then maybe it gets dicey after that. So just the highest chance that someone makes it to Cooperstown, who you would bet on, mm-hmm. and we're going to do a top thirty. The list gets pretty interesting as you as you go deeper. Yep. All right, let's start at the top. So who do you think is most likely? We might disagree here, I think. I kind of feel like there's a top four that are all locks. Okay. Pujols. Yes. Miguel Cabrera. Yes. Adrian Beltre and Ichiro. Uh, I think Carlos Beltran is in that list as well. Do you think he's a lock? Yes. If you look at his numbers, I think he's a lock. Okay. So maybe, maybe Beltran fifth of that. Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe Pujols, Ichiro, Beltre, Miguel, Beltran. Yeah, and I would e- even maybe say Ichiro ahead of Pujols because uh, really no I think ster- narrow steroid. There could be something that comes out between now and when Pujols gets in that would all position players, mm-hmm. which is uh, an observation that I had while doing this list. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we need to get guys like Schilling and Musina in the Hall of Fame because there's going to be a huge gap. Mm-hmm. Um, for starting pitchers. All right. Uh, I had Trout as number six. That's interesting. I had him at number seven. Um, Who'd you have at six? Uh, Robinson Cano. Ooh, he's much lower on my list. Really? I, so, I, I say we go with me. For me, my, my tier of young studs would be Trout, Harper, Altuve, and Carlos Correa. I think all four I of them. I think Trout is in a tier by himself. 
of those four, and then Harper, and then quite a ways down is is Altuve and Correa. I don't for some reason I think Altuve is just I would almost have more confidence in him than Trout because I think he's for, for the sh- Hall of Fame. He's for sure gonna get oh. um, three thousand hits. He's got eleven hundred right now, at twenty seven. Yeah, I think that's oh my. Al, you think Altuve has a better shot at making the Hall than Mike Trout? No, Harper. You said Trout. Oh, sorry, Harper. Okay. You know, uh, Harper is going to win two MVPs and make five All Star games before t- turning twenty five. I didn't. There's just something about Altuve. I don't oh, know. Oh my gosh. He's. I'm overriding you here. So consistent and doesn't get hurt. All right. Six is Trout. Seven Kershaw. You okay with that? Yeah, I'll be back in like 15 minutes after I go get a glass of water. No, stop it. I'm listening to your input. Trout six, Kershaw seven. Um, I think Max Scherzer. Interesting. He did not make my list. Your top 30. I came up with 25. I so Scherzer is on this list because if you look at his numbers, he's he's going to be rock solid. But um, I have him as a lock because. Uh, the lack of starting pitchers. People mm-hmm. are going to start to realize that. Um, now you had you had Cano high, so I'll I'll give him the ninth spot. Sounds good. And then let's see. I was so here we got Harper, <laughs> Altuve, Sale, Bumgarner, Posey. Who who you think is most likely out of that group? I think Posey's most. Well, likely. I have a guy that I think might go above all of them. Okay. Um. Kind of going on a limb here. Yuan Moncada, second baseman Stop for the Whites. Actually, I say we do. I'm I'm going against my list now here too. I say Posey's very likely to make the Hall of Fame because catchers injury risk. But catcher, I think if he retired like in two years, he'd be in. Hmm, that's a bold, bold a lot of statement. Very high average catchers just don't have to get as many cumulative stats. So I say we go Posey ninth, Cano tenth. I think Posey's just more likely to get in the Cano. What about a guy like Joey Votto? He was close to 30 on my list. Hmm. Sorry. Uh, Posey, Cano. Uh, you want to go 11, Harper? Yes. Okay. Um, now, you think you think Altuve is more likely than Chris Sale, Madison Bumgarner? I do. Consistency, uh, lack of injury risk. Eleven hundred hits, though. But he he has to replicate what he's done for so many years. I think he's the type of player that will age so well, though. Let's split it. I'm I'm going Sale twelve, Altuve, who was much lower on my list thirteen, and then Bumgarner (laughs) fourteen. This is where it gets to be interesting. Uh, so about halfway through. At this point, I have a mix of veterans and very young players. So on my list, Lester, no. John, John Lester, uh, Corey Seager, Manny Machado. And then I had Altuve, Yadier Molina, Carlos Correa, Giancarlo Stanton, Chris Bryant, Cece Sabathia, Justin Verlander, those types. Yes to every player you mentioned that's under the age of 30. No, it's every player over. Oh, but you're forgetting... You, the young players just don't have the stats yet. There's a very good chance that they flame out. But you're just talking. There's at least a chance. Uh, CC Sabathio is not a Hall of Famer. I'm t- 
you I think a lot of people would say that about certain players, but then over time they just get more and more and more and more votes. Hmm. If John Lester, CeCe Sabathia, and Verlander get in the Hall of Fame, I will stop being a baseball fan. Uh, you're going to take that back. They have so many years that they can you keep think those performing. Three... They have a chance. I wouldn't put money on it. At this point, I wouldn't put money on any any other player on this list definitely making the Hall of Fame. I'm not saying they're not good. My point is just that, at least with the young guys, they have a chance. John Lester has a chance. Justin Verlander has a chance to make the Hall of Fame. Just like if they... I mean, can, you can look s- at Lester's numbers, especially in the with the postseason. You think they have a chance in that like voters will look on them more I mean, favorably? You're looking at this list. You've got Kershaw, Scherzer as starting pitchers, Sale, Bumgarner. You're talking three versus you know, 15 position players. People are going to start to realize that. My general thinking is that the the Hall of Fame voter block of writers will not lower their standards, where you seem to believe that they they will a little bit. Well, CeCe has had, he's getting close to 300 wins. He's at like 230, I thought. Yeah, but I mean, he'll get up to maybe 250. He's had a good year this year, surprise people. If he gets close, maybe like 260. Again, not likely. But there's a chance. Uh, same with Bartolo. Like, uh, we're talking in 15 years, so much can change. And I think mm-hmm. he's he at least has the stats to be in the conversation where a guy like Manny Machado just has so far to go to even get the stats to be in the conversation. Hmm. Or like Chris Bryant. He has so many home runs to hit before he's in, even in the conversation. These other guys at least have the stats to be in the ballpark. They have to pitch pretty well to end their careers, which again, not likely that they'll do that, but you just never know. Like, but Beltre has continued to get better in his thirties. Right. Same with Ortiz. Yeah. I guess if what you're saying is there's a chance and the chance you're talking about is them, you know, having a great age, 38, 39, 40 season, then I can buy that. But if the chance you're talking about is, well, maybe that's combination. Ken Rosenthal will like Lester more than we, might think right now i don't think that's i think it's a combination all right uh let's just alternate then because we appear to be split on this so i will give you number 15 uh i will take nolan arenado oh my gosh so so many more home runs that he has to, and hits he has to get and they're not going to trust them because they're cores oh man he was like he was 27. But he's locked in. Number 15. Okay. Number 16. I'm going to go with uh, John Lester. Is uh, Seager off the board? No. Corey Seager. Now that's a good pick. I can get behind that. So you think Arnado has a better chance than Seager? I do. Interesting. All right. 18. Uh, I'm going Yadier Molina. Uh, Chris Bryant. All right, number 20, Carlos Correa. Um, Mookie Betts. That's a good pick. So you go Bryant over Betts. Mm-hmm. I think you can make a really good argument the other way. Uh, we're into the 20s now. Again, these guys you know, probably won't make the Hall of Fame. Much better chance that they don't. Uh, I'm going uh, Gene Carlos Stanton. Is Vado still on the board? Yes. Joey Vado. Yeah, I kind of scotched with that initially because he came on so late, but I think he could get a sabermetric movement. Uh, yeah, and he's you know, the type in, of guy 10 that, years. that uh, will age well, I think. Yep. Uh, 24, give me Sabathia. 
I don't know if you like this pick. I probably won't. Actually, you know what? Before him, I'll go uh, Paul Goldschmidt. Hmm, he's old. Who are you going to go with? I'll share that next. Uh, 26, give me Verlander. Jacob deGrom. Over Syndergaard. Yes. Are you confusing the two? I am not. <laughs> deGrom is the one who actually pitches. Cinder- this is the first year Syndergaard's got hurt. Oh, well, yeah, but now he's like 300 pounds of muscle. <laughs> so you take him over like Felix Hernandez? Yes, certainly. Well, uh, give me Ian Kinsler. I will go Francisco Lindor. He was on my list. All right, our last one, anyone you would like to make an argument for? Uh, the one that you're really going to hate, Gary Sanchez. Why would I hate that? Uh, he's just too he's, young. He's got potential. Uh, so guys on my board, Sanchez wasn't, but he's a decent pick. Sanchez. Melky Cabrera. Uh, steroids, he can't get in. Mm. Uh, Anthony Rizzo. Noah Syndergaard. King Felix. Bartolo, Steven Strasburg, Andrew McCutcheon, Adam Wainwright, Zach Greinke. I think Gary's the best of that bunch. I would say so. Another sneaky pick that sounds ridiculous is Kyle Seeger. I think he could be an Adrian Beltre type. Remarkably consistent. Yeah. Decent numbers every year, but never a superstar. Yeah, boy. Let's see. You know what? Hmm. I think Syndergaard bounces back. So, all right, our 30. Uh, Ichiro, Pujols, Beltre, Miguel Cabrera, Carlos Beltran, Mike Trout, Clayton Kershaw, Max Scherzer, Buster Posey, uh, Cano at number 10, then Harper, Sale, Altuve, Bumgarner, Arenado, Lester, Seager, that's Corey Seager, uh, Yadier Molina, Chris Bryant, Carlos Correa, Mookie Betts, Giancarlo Stanton, Joey Votto, CeCe Sabathia, Paul Goldschmidt, Justin Verlander, Jacob DeGrom, Ian Kinsler, Francisco Lindor, and Noah Syndergaard. Mm. Pretty solid. Yeah, no White Sox. All right. Uh, well, we'll post that as a blog post later this week, so check that out on our website if you'd like to see it. And if you disagree with us, let us know. Email us at gmail.com or tweet at us. All right, next up, TWTW. When you can put some of those categories, you know, you got your OBPS and all that and the VORPs. When they put in TWTW and then interface those numbers with TWTW under that category, then you might have something cooking. What, what, what TW is. Yeah, what is that? That's the will to win. All right, a quick TWTW this week. Uh, last year, I talked about a uh, particular metric uh, called ERA minus FIP. And it's pretty self-explanatory. Just takes uh, a team's ERA or pitcher's ERA and subtracts it by that team or that pitcher's uh, fielding independent pitching. And the intent is to try to determine if a pitcher is getting lucky or unlucky, if he's out pitching uh, his FIP or what his you know kind of true performance should be. And so I want to take a look at the top five and bottom five teams in this stat. So these top five teams are teams that are uh, getting the least lucky. Uh, They have pitchers who are underperforming. Not surprisingly, the Giants lead all of baseball. Their ERA minus FIP is a positive 0.49. 
you know, they, they've had a terrible season all around, but according to this metric, at least some of that might be undeserved where, um, they're fielding independent, independent pitching is 4.15 and their A is 4.64. Other teams in that category, that top five, uh, of being unlucky, you have the Tigers, the Mets, the Astros, and the Padres. I think the Astros are an interesting team. One of the best teams in baseball, if not the best team. And uh, according to this metric, at least, uh, they've had some bad luck. Their pitchers have, where they've their pitchers have actually um, outperformed where their ERA is. The, the teams that have gotten the luckiest, uh, these teams all have a negative ERA minus fit because they're uh, ERA is better than their fit. You have the Rangers who are leading all of baseball with a, a ERA minus FIP of negative 0.37. If you'll recall, the Cubs led this category last year. They had a negative 0.62, which is just absurd. If you look back historically with the Cubs, it was mostly a result of really, really good defense. But they're actually doing well again this year. They're a negative 0.36. So again, last year, negative 0.62. They're about half of that um, at negative 0.36. Rounding out that top five quote-unquote lucky teams, you have the Dodgers, White Sox, and Mariners. So an interesting stat. You can go to Fangraphs and and check that out. Um, I didn't dig into specific pitchers, but I at least um, found this interesting looking at different teams. I think the two ones that jumped out to me are the Cubs and the Astros. Um, you know, the Cubs, for all their talk about a bad pitching staff this year, have actually still done quite well, um, where they've outperformed their FIP, and the the Astros have, have actually run into some bad luck. So they could be even more dominant. Uh, Hawk News this week, he was not happy when uh, John Lester, or uh, John Lackey, th- threw at uh, White Sox players. Yeah, not happy at all. I wouldn't really drop it. Yes. Uh, we haven't talked about the Crosstown Cup either. Yeah. That's intentional on my part. The Cubs beat the the White Sox three to one. Mm-hmm. First time in our history that one of the teams has actually won the series, and it hasn't split. Yeah, I think if we would have had all our uh, bullets in the holster, is that the right saying? If we would have had all our players before we traded them, we would have been very competitive. Mm. Well, yeah, there's four games, so probably. <laughs> uh. Thanks to those that viewed our live stream, by the way. Yeah. About 50 of you tuned in. So uh, thanks for uh, watching our live stream of uh, Wednesday night's game of that series. If you, you, have, if, you, have a, you have a favorite moment? Uh, it's fun to have Benson join. My favorite moment is when we had to look up to see if Gandhi was still alive. That was pretty good. Um, Shout out to our, uh, our favorite Chicago listener, David. The conversation regarding the origin of the War of 1812 was also fascinating. Shout out to uh, our sister on Lacey. Yep. Yep. So, but if you haven't tuned in, you can go to YouTube uh, and, and watch it. Maybe we'll put a link to it in the sure. episode page. You can get a look into Peter's bedroom and my living room. Just a grainy view of Paul's living room. Yeah, I know. It still hasn't upped that internet quality. I know you're year. dying to, uh, to see behind the scenes into our lives. Well, that does it for TWTW. Next up, Sounds of the Game. So here is Adrian Beltry. And he hits a line drive down the line, a diving attempt. The ball gets away from Erstad. 
One run is in. Johnson stops at third. And what a way for Adrian Beltry to begin his big league career. A 19-year-old who walks up and doubles to drive in a run. The kid who had great numbers at San Antonio, they get the ball. Boy, it didn't take him long to collect his first base hit in RBI. So Joe Malfitano saves the ball for him. Number 37, Karen Dreyford. Take another look. He went right after it. That's what they say about him. He's a very aggressive hitter. And a fine diving try, but as you saw, Erstad short hopped it and then it got away. So Beltry doubles in one, the game even. That was Vince Scully calling Adrian Beltre's first RBI and first hit. So pretty cool moment. Uh, like Scully said, Beltre was only 19 at the time, making his uh, debut with the Dodgers back in 1998. So, uh, Adrian Beltre got his uh, 3,000th hit on Sunday, and I was at the Cubs-Brewers game when, when it happened, and it was cool. They, uh, In between innings, they, they put up the the highlight on the video board, and he got a nice ovation. Hmm. So, I thought that was cool. 3,000 hits is still a big deal, even though hits themselves, you know, from a year-to-year basis, aren't that big a deal. Uh, he is the 31st player to get 3,000 hits. Paul, can you name uh, five of the 31 that aren't in the Hall of Fame. Our guess now six. So hmm. six of the thirty-one that have got three thousand aren't in the Hall of Fame. Beltre is one of them. Are so there's, any of there's them five others from our generation. Yes. Well, Ichiro. Ichiro. Pujols hasn't got to three thousand, has he? No. Let's see other guys that have got. So others. Aren't, Pete Rose. Yes, Pete Rose. And there's. Um, Shoeless Joe ever get three thousand? No. Bonds get three thousand. He was uh, 65 away. Hmm. Uh, Manny get 3,000? Nope. So you've got two that aren't eligible yet, hmm. but, but are retired. And then you have one that won't get in because of steroids. Interesting. Um... And two of these people are on the, uh, the very short list of 500 homers and 3,000 hits. Think New York Yankees. Oh, uh, Derek Jeter. Uh, yes. Think uh, New York Yankees. New York, another Yankee. Bernie Williams. Yeesh. Jorge Posada. Yeesh. No. Alex oh, Rodriguez. Alex Rodriguez. Yep. And Rafael Palomero. Nice. Rough. Yeah. Well, I don't know why you give me these guessing games. <laughs> you should know the best players ever. Yeah. Uh, that's a, that's not the type of baseball fan I am. Well, I ask you obscure things like no hitters and perfect games. You don't get those either. What's your niche? I just enjoy the game. Mm. All right. Uh, yeah. So 31 players now have 3,000 hits. Beltre joins them. He is 46 homers away from 500, so he will join uh, a very select group that includes Palmero, Arod, Eddie Murray, Willie Mays, and Hank Aaron. So he'll be the sixth player to do 500 homers and 3,000 hits. So that's why he's a definite lock for the Hall of Fame. He played seven years in LA, five years in Seattle, one in Boston, and now seven in Texas. And he is signed through next year, so he'll play at least one. Uh, 
and the rest of this year, so one and a half years more in Texas. Uh, this week's sound of the game is simply his 3,000th hit, and it's the Texas TV broadcast. Second chance this afternoon for Adrian. Struck out in the second. And the Rangers dug out all his teammates, hoping to see history. The 3-0. Bounce Around second, heading to third, Mazzara. Beltro goes for two, and it's a stand-up double. And there it is, number 3,000 for Adrian Beltre. Adrian Beltre, 31st member of the 3,000-hit club. Achievement today is tremendous as the joy with which he has always played the game. White, Sandra, his kids, AJ. Cassandra, Camila, and soak it all in. A 20-year journey to get the 2,000 hits. What a great scene. And what a fantastic moment. Our guest this week is Jake Devereaux. Jake is a writer and podcaster for BP Boston. You can follow his work on Twitter at DevJake, and that's D-E-V-J-A-K-E. Jake, welcome back to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Uh, Jake, before we get into uh, to all of the off-the-field uh, craziness associated with the Red Sox so far, I'm curious just where you're at as a Sox fan. You know, has this season been a disappointment? Has it been about what you expect in terms of wins and losses? Just kind of where are you at as a Sox fan? Well, I think uh, on paper, uh, looking at the the win-loss record as a Sox fan this year, you have to be pretty happy. And I think it's right around where we all kind of expected. Um, we thought that the team would be pretty good this year. Uh, I was certainly in that bunch that thought that they would win the division. Um, however, uh, the overwhelming feeling um, that I'm feeling, and I think the rest of Red Sox Nation is feeling, is that this team is grossly underperforming and that um, they're kind of unlikable, uh, hmm. especially with all of this controversy, which I know we'll get to. But uh, it certainly hasn't felt anything like you would expect a uh, first place season for, you know, like they've been in for the majority of the season. They're a half game behind the Yankees right now, but um, you know, they were in first place for a good two and a half months stretch. And uh, it sure just did not feel like that. And especially the last two weeks have been kind of jarring. And um, once the, the little uh, hangover that everybody has from the trade deadline uh, sort of passes, I think that, um, Things will start to normalize around here, but the Red Sox are, are going a little bit bad at a time where they're facing um, some pretty uh, talented teams from the AL Central. You know, we hit the Royals at a really bad time where the Royals were crazy hot, and now uh, the Red Sox are starting up a series against the Cleveland Indians, which luckily they they won the first game tonight. But uh, those are two of the, the hottest teams in baseball right now, so certainly not easy. Yeah, before we get into the David Price fiasco, I wanted to just ask one question about Chris Sale. Mm -hmm. He has been uh, dominant this year, I think far and away, the AL Cy Young pick right now. 148 innings, 211 strikeouts, .88 whip. Uh, So just an insane season. Um, And so I guess my question, where would the Red Sox be without Chris Sale? Man, it's hard to imagine. Um, He's been by far the best player uh, on the Red Sox. And I think you could really make a pretty strong argument, you know, maybe Aaron Judge, but 
I think he's got a, a strong argument for MVP of the American League, especially if he does end up winning the Cy Young this year and continuing with the historic season that he has. Most people don't realize this, but um, Chris Sale is actually on pace to break Pedro Martinez's uh, strikeout record for the Red Sox, which is, I believe, 313 strikeouts. Wow. Um, so he has been just unbelievable. And I think the Sox would, you know, be. I, th- I think he's got, what, 12, 13 wins or something like that. And mm-hmm. He's given them every chance to win all those games. I've seen two of his starts in person this year, um, and it's just a treat, man. It's it's absolutely the best having an ace, and um, he's really the first true ace I think the Red Sox have had since uh, maybe Kurt Schilling left. And, uh, you know, Beckett was good, Lester's good, but he's a whole different animal. Yeah, as a as a Sox fan, White Sox fan, it's uh it's both painful and beautiful to watch Sale pitch so well for the for the Red Sox. But um, <laughs> uh, digging into kind of the real reason we brought you on, um, <laughs> to to talk through probably the weirdest story, baseball story of 2017, David Price going after Hall of Famer uh, Dennis Eckersley. Just walk us through, you know, what happened, why isn't the story going away, and then how do you think it'll all play out? How do you think it'll end? Well, uh, the basis of the story is that David Price has had it out for media members this year, and um, he's been sort of prickly since I think he probably feels like he underperformed in the playoffs and maybe to some extent last year. And it all kind of started with this really bizarre Globe interview uh, that he gave in spring training where he talked about um, whatever you know he does, people aren't going to appreciate him, and nobody asks about his charity work and he sort of exposed this really um, almost bratty side hmm. um, that people didn't really realize was there um, in the spring. And then the first known media blow up was with uh, Evan Drellick, um of CSN, where he kind of pulled Evan Drellick aside and uh, yelled at him, confronted him in front of a group of people in a hall of uh, Yankee Stadium. Um, so that was kind of the first red flag. And Uh, Evan has been on our show, The Red Seat, uh, twice now and has been classy enough not to, you know, talk about what was said between the two. But uh, clearly that was a red flag there. And then the most recent incident was the uh, Eckersley thing where um, Eck was on the plane. And um, I'm sure you've heard the transcript by now, but uh, essentially David Price singled him out and told everybody on the the team, hey, here's the greatest pitcher that ever lived. This game was easy for him. Hmm. Kind of made a skeptical, uh, a, a spectacle of him, I should say. Um, and when Eckersley took a seat, he um, you know was on the plane for a little while and decided he would walk up to the front of the plane, uh, past where the players are, because the media sits in the back. And um, he was walking up towards where Dave Dombrowski was in the front of the plane, and uh, he tried to talk to Price, and Price just told him to get the F out of here every time that he tried to talk. Um, and apparently that had happened when he initially made that first overture towards him as well. So um, just kind of bullying him in front of the whole team. And apparently there were some reports of the other members of the Red Sox clapping in support. And, you know, it's kind of unknown how many people in the locker room fall into that whole group of that Price is in. I think he... He sort of does have a little bit of a leadership role with the Red Sox, which seems kind of unfortunate. Certainly not the type of player that you'd want leading this group. And I think it's clear that he's not the only one with a problem. Um, 
Pedroia certainly has a problem with X stemming from the uh, early season incident uh, with the Orioles. I don't know if you remember the whole beanball thing. Mm-hmm. Where, oh, yeah. Um, yep. Yeah. So um, Eck was kind of critical of Pedroia, which is totally fair because Pedroia didn't really uh, act like the best teammate there in that situation. And um, it's kind of been downhill since then. So, and the me- most recent thing that's come out is that uh, he said that, you know, he's going to talk to Eckersley aside, but, he basically said, hey, X's been, been good, and he hasn't criticized us much since this incident, kind of not being remorseful for it at all and uh, almost applauding himself for for Eck not being as critical of the team now. So it's it's really bizarre, and it makes David Price look incredibly unlikable. Hmm. As someone that, that follows Red Sox games, is Eckersley someone that's been like overly negative about the team, or is it completely out of left field that – the players would have a beef with him. You know, listening to Eck, um, and I've listened to almost all of his games this year, and he's funny. I mean, he doesn't he doesn't say anything biting. Hmm. What Eck does is he points out things that players do that are wrong. You know, if a guy doesn't cover first base when he's supposed to, he points that out. If a fit, uh, pitcher forgets to back a, back up a play at home plate. He'll point that out if someone leaves a hanging breaking ball. But, you know, it's not like he's singling guys out unfairly or it's no sort of biting criticism where you'd listen to it and be like, wow, this guy's really over the top. Like Hmm. X just kind of doing his job, which is what makes this whole thing sort of baffling. And Price had a weird quote where he um, he said uh, one sound, one band um, referring to the media. He wants kind of. The way that Price envisions the perfect uh, media setup is that the media kind of support the players and that, um, you know, they're they're not going to point out things that are critical of the team and um, they're always going to kind of be on the same page as the players and kind of give them a break and and, and paint a rosy picture of the situation all the time. And bottom line is that's ridiculous to think and it's not the role of the media to do that. And um, Price is just really acquitting himself as this big kind of pampered baby who can't handle any criticism and he's not making any friends uh, in the Boston area. And people are generally pretty split on this. Some people are more supportive of price than ever now. And others like myself just find themselves disgusted that we have to root for this guy and can't wait until he's out of his contract. Hmm. Yeah. And to make matters worse for price, you know, awful timing uh, for him and the Red Sox, but He's got a, an arm injury. He's on the DL. What's kind of the prognosis for, for him and his return? Well, apparently the elbow injury is not nearly as bad as the first one. So he said with the first one, he couldn't do things like brush his teeth or, you know, uh, well, not that he didn't brush his teeth, but, <laughs> uh, you know, he had some pain using that arm to brush his teeth and, you know, put on clothes and, and things like that. And I guess this time it's a strain, but much more mild. So, uh, there's been no timetable put on when he's going to come back, but I would anticipate that um, that's probably going to be inside of like a month rather than uh, before where it was, you know, significantly longer than that. So the the sentiment is that we are expecting him back this year for sure. Better watch out. Price might hear that you think he's not brushing his teeth and come after you. <laughs> you know, he might. That's the type of thing that would upset him and uh, <laughs> the unfair criticism. So. No one expected not to like the $217 million man. And mm. I think that 
everybody kind of knew David Price as this affable character. Um, but uh, Chris Smith over at Mass Live, who uh, is on the Red Sox beat, did a really nice job of kind of uncovering some of the other scuffles that Price has had uh, in the past with media. And um, he actually does has, have a much more sordid history with the media than I think I certainly knew of when he came to the team. I know he called out Tom Verducci um, and someone else on a national broadcast and called those guys nerds. And hmm. he's had some some run-ins with media before this. So it, maybe we should have expected this a little bit more. Hmm. Uh, Bill Simmons tweeted last Thursday, this Red Sox team blows right now. They just suck. It's hard to watch. Uh kind of referring to your sentiment earlier of just it's it's kind of painful to watch an unlikable team. Uh, but there are some really likable guys on the team too, like uh, Mookie Betts, Xander Bogarts, you know, Devers just came up, 20-year-old 20, 20 rookie that seems to be playing well right now. So uh, just walk us through, I guess, maybe what that tension's like. And then I'm also curious as a follow-up, uh, what's the, the vibe of Boston fans towards Bill Simmons right now? Well, I'll talk about uh, the players first. Um, there's still a lot of exciting things happening with Red Sox baseball, and I think we talked about one of them already in Chris Sale, and mm -hmm. it's still a treat watching uh, Mookie Betts every night. Um, Jackie Bradley Jr. makes spectacular plays. If they don't give that guy the Golden Glove this year, um, I'd be shocked. I mean, what does he have to do? I know he plays in a division with uh, – Kevin Pillar and um, and Kiermaier, so it's it, it's tough going. But some of the catches that Jackie Bradley Jr. makes uh, have you thinking platinum glove, not just gold glove. Um, so he, he's been a pleasure to watch. The outfield assists from Jackie um, and Mookie, who has been by Fangraphs metrics, and I can't remember where he is on our metrics at BP, but uh, one of the best fielders. I think he is the best fielder in baseball by Fangraphs. So. He's been awesome. Um, Devers is super exciting. He went four for four tonight, but one of the best pure uh, young hitters in the game. He's only 20 years old, so that's been a, a tremendously bright spot. Uh, it's still a, a really exciting ball club. You can see some great stuff on a nightly basis. It's just there's this overwhelming sense that things just haven't clicked yet, and the Red Sox are still you know, doing as well as they are. So... Um, it's pretty easy as a Red Sox fan to sit here and envision a scenario where um, Xander Bogarts gets fully healthy, starts hitting like himself, um, Devers continues to produce, uh, Benintendi hits better, Betts hits better, um, Bradley hits a little bit better, um, and then all of a sudden the team's cruising. So mm -hmm. I, I think that that's probably a big reason why Dave Dombrowski didn't act as aggressively as he typically did does at the deadline because there's just so much here that um is still kind of underperforming and what about uh bill simmons you know i <laughs> boston's totally split on bill simmons i see um you know i follow most of the boston uh media on on twitter and i see split things uh, i personally have never had any problem with bill simmons mm -hmm. i have a tremendous amount of respect for him um i think you know He's one of the reasons why I got into writing and all that stuff. I always enjoyed reading him. But, you know, is he the most educated baseball fan out there? No. Um, <laughs> does he have uh, takes that are often not great? Yeah. Yeah, he definitely does. But um, I just kind of view him as, you know, crazy Uncle Bill. You know, he's <laughs> just going to 
he's going to say some crazy stuff and you're not going to agree with it. But at the end of the day, uh, I think Bill Simmons does more good than bad. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's, he's always still repping it for Boston, even though he's out in LA being, you know, a fake LA person now. But, <laughs> um, I, I think, uh, I, I would say Boston's probably still 60-40 in favor of uh, Bill Simmons, if I had to guess. Hmm. Well, Jake, we appreciate you uh, joining us. I know you said it's uh, it's not a likable team, but it's certainly an interesting team, at least from a national perspective. Um, so appreciate you joining us. Folks, you can go read his stuff um, and listen to his podcast, The Red Seat at BP Boston, and uh, we'll post a link in our uh, our episode page. But Jake, thanks for, for joining us, and we'll follow along the rest of the year. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks again to Jake for joining us. Check out his podcast called The Red Seat. That's a baseball prospectus's Red Sox podcast. So we'll link to that in the podcast episode page for themox.com. Well, next week we will be in San Francisco. We will record a Brothers Road Trip podcast. If you're interested in going back, episodes 15 and 54 are the first two Brothers Road Trip podcasts. And then episode 80 is when we decided to go to San Francisco last uh, January. Mm -hmm. The Great Compromise, as it has been referred to. Uh, And this trip is actually brought to you by Chase Rewards Cards. (laughs) Yes, we are getting our flights paid for through creative credit card shenanigans. So thank you to Chase uh, and and if uh, you, Southwest Reward Program. If you use promo discount code uh, Foot in the Box, you can also get those fifty thousand uh, credit card points that mm. we get. Is that what it's called? The promo discount code. <laughs> I've never actually used one of those, but yeah. yeah so look forward to that. Um, we'll have some fun stuff planned. The audio quality is always not great, but uh, we make up for it in uh, chemistry. Mm-hmm. You know, twenty six years going on 27 years of chemistry built amongst the four brothers. So we look forward to that. Uh, update from vacation. I won my first MVP baseball game. Seven and one. Yeah, so Paul and I are, are playing uh, 20 2005 MVP baseball games on PS2 throughout the year. I'm the Cubs, Paul's the White Sox, and now Paul's uh, up seven to one. So we got a ways to go to get to 20, but uh, we'll get there. And the loser of that has to... Uh, um, let the other put a, any bumper sticker on his car. Baseball-themed bumper sticker. Yes. Yep. Uh, well, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Make sure to leave us a review there if you haven't already. Find us on Stitcher, Google Play, and SoundCloud as well. Send us emails, uh, perhaps if you have a San Francisco place to check out. Yeah. Got some tips, some restaurants, things to see. Email us, afootinthebox at gmail.com. Or you can just tweet at us, at afootinthebox. And uh, lastly, check us out online at afootinthebox.com. That's where we link to everything we talked about in the show and where I blog every day of the 2017 season. Uh, I also put up our 100 favorite things about baseball as a list now, so you can check that out from uh, from episode 100. Well, Paul, you got anything else? 
Just appreciate you guys listening and a reminder to keep a foot in the box. We'll talk to you with the rest of the family next week. Bye.